That's right. Did you know that? We're badly needed and long overdue. A controversial podcast about Colorado Springs. <laughs> and it's controversial, Emily, mm-hmm. because it makes sense. <gasps> I'm your host, Nick Craven, <laughs> uh, joining to my virtual left. And you're right. If you're watching the YouTube version, the video version, which you probably should, uh, is yeah. my co-host, researcher, uh, and queen TikToker, Emily Lewis. How are you doing? Welcome. Um, I'm here. <laughs> yes. Yes. You it's, made it. You you dragged yourself to be here this morning. I did. I did. I'm uh, just just as a, a heads up. I'm yeah, I'm not on my game today at all. <laughs> oh, uh, it's it's it was a long night. Yeah, it was a long night. And I have to remember that I'm not 30 anymore and probably should be in bed at 10 30 and not leaving the house to go out at 10 30. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I'm, so I'm not young. I'm a young in. I, I love, I love the people who are like, Oh, but you're so young. I'm like, I'm, I'm, sh- this is the point in my life where I should be buying a Corvette. That's where I was. <laughs> no, no, you don't do that until you hit 50. That's no, your midlife crisis car. No, that's your post midlife crisis. That's Mm-mm. when you've really got to, Anyway, no, no, uh, no, we will argue about that. Speaking of arguments, <laughs> we were arguing with Rob Rogers the whole time he was on our, I'm just kidding. We had a great interview with Rob Rogers. We did. We had a fantastic interview. Um, Candidates I really... HD Colorado house district 14 on the North end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Everyone yeah. we're talking to is on the North end. So far, so far we're trying to get people yeah. in and around. So you guys stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Same what... bat time, same bat channel. Actually, same badly needed time, same badly needed channel. <laughs> um, as we we're trying to get as many people mm-hmm. in here as possible. There's only oh, so yeah. many weeks now yep. ahead of leading the election. Up to, yeah, leading up to election. Um, and we will uh, something we talked about today off camera um, is is starting to talk to people after the the big scary on on november 8th as well yeah it happened yeah absolutely so. so we had a really nice it's a it's a nice long we dig real deep into oh, yeah. where rob's from what he wants to do um we touch on talk- tiktok and seven mountains and stuff like that yeah and nick and nick and rob get to have a lovely conversation about taxes Metro, metropolitan but, tax districts absolutely that's your favorite it, it you can tell yeah can absolutely tell as you guys are talking about it you can see how enthralled i am yes you about are. the conversation You're so well <laughs> so with all that said let's dive in and let's uh, do it let's get into it rob rogers candidate democrat colorado house district 14 let's go yay Rob Rogers, <clears throat> I want to welcome you to this little show that we make in Colorado Springs. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. I love it. This is like <laughs> straight to the point. That's <laughs> We're getting close to that election thing. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, I mean, the, <laughs> the thing people don't prepare you prepare you for when you're running for office is that you're going to be like tired all the time. Uh, yeah. Other, other than that, I'm having fun. 
Yeah, I imagine you're you're you have a lot of obligations. You're skipping around a lot of places. We're getting closer. I don't know if you know this, but there's an election coming up, and as you know a what? candidate, you have to like. It seems like it's a big deal, and so you, there's a lot of obligations you have to do and do things at the last minute. And it seems like you're in that. I squarely in that. Yes. Okay. Um, and that's another one of the things they don't prepare you for, too. You know, it's there. It, there's there's no. It's like exponential growth, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not linear. It's not like you're busy. You know, like you know, <laughs> at, at a constant rate. It's it, it just keeps on late and getting ramped up and more and more busy, more and more meetings, more and more events, more and more phone calls. It's just uh, it just escalates. So it's like slowly and then all at once. Yeah, it it. it, it there's a lot of stuff that happens at like the very beginning when you're trying to get a, your commit. And this is the first time I've done this. So a lot of this was like new for me, but you <laughs> got to get your committee set up and all the foundational stuff like set up at the very beginning, which was all happening back in February. And then it, it just escalates from there. Your schedule just gets busier and busier and busier as time goes on. Yeah. You get that r- logarithmic scale in there. You go 10, 100, 1000. You just like, ah, <laughs> I haven't run for anything before. I didn't even run. I had planned, Rob, I will have you know that I had planned to run for student body president at one point. And then when the time came, I was like, the fuck, why would I do that? (laughs) That's stupid. I'm not one of the popular kids. No one knows who I am. I don't even, I kind of had a platform, but um, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. So, Rob, why are you running for House District 14? Um, my story in general is because I mean, we can dig into your story. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've heard from, I've heard from, and I'm around like all the other candidates because we all end up all the El Paso County County candidates end up in in the same place, the same time. So I've heard, Mm -hmm. I've heard all their stories like so many times Uh and they're all pretty similar. (laughs) There's some kind of moment where the the straw you know that that broke that camel's back you know we finally got tired of it mm-hmm. and it was the same thing with me and there's a direct line with what happened in the el paso county school boards last year mm-hmm. and me running for office now mm-hmm. and I, i've been dabbling and and i've done some citizen lobbying a lot of like my political activity has been activism uh, up until recently but I had an idea, you know, I kind of knew how it worked. I, I did I did hundreds of hours of volunteering during Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016 when I was still in Northern Virginia. And so I, I'd had I'd been on the fringes of it, you know, for a while. But then whenever all the dark money got dumped into the school board races last year mm-hmm. and you're looking around for some help with this, I'm just a parent at that point. And I'm watching like what's going on and you need some help at that point. And you would think that, you know, you'd be able to reach out to your state representative maybe that'd be a good person who might be able to help you or provide some advice or, you know, do, you know, maybe write a bill or something to prevent this kind of thing from happening you know in the future and then when you're finding out that your representative doesn't really talk to anybody who's not a member of their party um i mean i remember the moments like i, I can do better than this i can be better than this and mm-hmm. so there there was my moment yeah i um I love talking about myself whenever I can, but I used to live up in Briargate um, and I got activated in 2016 thanks to Bernie and that. Um, so I got really interested in like the summer of 2016 uh, and then that became Dan Nordberg versus uh, Chris Walters and he was kind of a like a last minute thing. 
Um, so at a point I had considered running up there before redistricting, but yeah, you're right. There is really just so much to starting it and procedure and, you know, getting everything right. And I learned a lot about the party and the process, uh, along the way. When did, when did you move out here to, uh, Colorado Springs? June of 2018. But mm-hmm. I, I, after I got out of the air force, I started working for a startup. Uh, that was based in Colorado Springs mm-hmm. and that was in 2001. So I've been, I had been traveling out here five or six times mm-hmm. a year uh, for 20 years mm-hmm. uh, before we decided to move, to move from DC out here. Mm-hmm. So you're getting used to, you, you were kind of already familiar or at least coming to grips with, yeah, this is a conservative city. This is a conservative area. Um, these are the candidates that are going to, but it sounds like the, uh, the walled garden approach that they have was relatively new then. Like I have, we have all these representatives, but they're only useful to a couple of people who live here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're. Um, I, I was kind of surprised. I mean, it, in coming from like the East Coast, um, it's you. You don't really have. <laughs> there's not necessarily like areas. I mean, yes, there are conservative conservative areas, even like around Northern Virginia. <clears throat> But it wasn't like as uh, there there wasn't so much of a separation there. I mean, to the point where, you know, you can't even get a phone call returned. Right. Um, but you, it might not be a pleasant conversation necessarily. <laughs> You're going to have some disagreements, but they'd at least talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. And there was at least be a communication as a good representative should do. So let's go back in time there. Where did you grow up? Was it was it the D.C. area or? No, no, no. I uh, I grew up in in South Arkansas. Oh, uh, okay. So you're just down the street this... from from uh, Ryan then. Yeah, this is Arkansas weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think, uh, I think Ryan's from Bryant, uh, and I grew up in uh, a little town called Smackover. Um, that is an Arkansas name right there. Yeah. I it's it, it's <laughs> it's how it, it's a great example about how like Americans will always screw up, you know, foreign languages. Uh-huh. That's it's a it's a derivative of a French word, um, sumac. Um, okay. A water plant, and it's in that's in the Washtenaw River uh, river bottoms in South Arkansas. So there's a lot of water plants and that kind of stuff. So I can imagine, you know, somebody talking about, hey, just go over to that sumac over there and set up the town. Mm-hmm. It became like smack over. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, like flutterbys and butterflies and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So you grew up. So you grew up in in uh, Arkansas. What was that? I can imagine. But what was that climate like politically, or even for you as like your family? Were you a left leaning, bleeding heart liberal from a young age, or is that something you had to come into? I it's something that I grew into. Um, I mean, like like anybody else. I mean, I, I'm not any different. Nobody else is any different. You know, whenever you're a kid, you kind of your political leanings are gonna look a whole lot like your parents. Um, right. and I, my, my grandparents raised me, um, from two to 14. And that was, a um, that they, they are, or were, my grandfather's retired now, but he was a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, and a preacher's wife. So that was my, that, that I still kind of consider them my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they raised me during those times. So, uh, I went to private, Christian schools uh, until I was 14, uh, started public school whenever uh, as a sophomore, whenever I was 14, that mm-hmm. was, that was interesting. Um, it was so, going into, getting into the public schooling system. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that had to have been a 
at, shock to the at, system at, at 14 and I and I skipped <laughs> kindergarten um because I could I could already read um so I went in I went into my sophomore year my first year in public school 14 as a sophomore when everybody else was like 16 so that mm-hmm. that made it like even worse here's this kid um, trying to be in our class with us yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and a kid, and a kid. I mean, who quite honestly, you know, and this isn't necessarily criticism; it's just the reality that just was not prepared, you know, for mm-hmm. that non-sheltered world. Yeah. Uh, so it was that. That was that was hard. I, I, I still remember that as some like my my hardest hardest years. But hey, you know, it's it's the things that make make us who we are. Right. But I, I don't know if I'm giving you like a good enough uh, a picture here of like what that was like. It was a very, I was, I was very, very indoctrinated, very embedded mm-hmm. into the evangelical side of Christianity uh-huh. yep. for, for a while, which, which makes, which makes my current, my current <laughs> life that much more ironic. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, yeah. I was going to say, I kind of, I like kind of relate because at 13, we moved out here from Colorado and I'd been living on base housing my entire life up to that point. So we got, um, we were, we had to settle in um, civilian neighborhood because the wait for housing on Peterson was three years long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here I was in this kind of, I don't know, like an enclave or so of military kids who understood what military life was, and then you had to deal with these secular kids who were riding skateboards and listening to <laughs> bad music, and it's like. What is going on? And of course, it's right at that, right as puberty is starting. So it's that much more awkward to try and make friends than that. Did you, were you able to tr- get, maintain friendships coming out of Christian schools? Um, I mean, not, not really. I mean, I knew, <laughs> I knew some of them. I mean, it was like, it was like there was this collection of like parents who would just rotate through like the, the, private Christian schools that would get set up in these churches, like in the area for a while. So we all, we, we've all been going to school with each other and knew each other, you know, since, you know, first, mm-hmm. like second grade. And then one school would like shut down for like whatever reason. And then someone else would build another one, you know, in a different church. And we'd all go over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some of them that ended up going to the, the same public school as well. But, um, you know, it's, the combination of of being in that world and I'm not really in that world anymore. You know, yeah. With leaving Arkansas and joining the Air Force, mm-hmm. um, my my world just got my worldview, my world just got so much bigger um, as as a result of those things. So um, if you're if you're still embedded in that world and you're still living in Arkansas, then you know it. I, you you you, lo- you lose things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So you yeah. got, so you got into did was it like straight out of high school into the Air Force? Was that a plan or? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I always knew that I wanted to be in the Air Force because I knew my grandfather was in the Air Force and he served in the Air Force in the Korean War, mm-hmm. and so it was something I always had in my mind that I wanted to do. And I turned eighteen in basic training. Oh, um, wow. okay, yeah. Um, as soon soon as I. Well, I mean, I, I graduated high school uh, at 17, but that was like in June. And then I was in delayed enlistment until the next February. And then I turned 18 in basic training. Um, so I, I, I wanted, 
uh, I wanted out of Arkansas <laughs> for, <Yeah. laughs> uh, for for a lot of different reasons, and so I so I go to basic training, and I got out of Arkansas because they sent me to Alaska. Oh my um, god! My first assignment that was up there. Yeah, but you got to go to uh, San Antonio first, which is you know just down the street uh, before yeah. they, they sent you out. Yeah, which you, I mean, I I think you only get to see like San Antonio like one day that you're there. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. my. D- my dad was there in 82 and um, he said that he watched a guy die on the track. He was from Michigan and he was had overexerted himself and just died. Uh, and like that, that seemed to, I don't know. He seemed kind of nonplussed about it, but I think <laughs> hmm, hmm, that's not something you usually see in the world as it happens. Um, yeah. You, not, not to discount, you know, someone dying, but if someone's dying in basic training, it, it, in Air Force basic training, <laughs> there's something else going on. Yeah. You probably should have just stayed home. Yeah, yeah maybe, well, sometimes you can make it pretty far through there before they're like, oh, here's the thing that was on a psychiatric evaluation, you know, that maybe we looked over. I, uh, um, you, you mentioned your, your grandfather had served, and I, I see the correlation there between here is this christian arkansas upbringing and then also get into the air force or get into the military because they both kind of present that same kind of tribalism of Mm -hmm. like you do it because your ancestors did it and you did it because like that's what's expected of you to do and this is what um this is what it is to be a patriot and to be honored in this country to be honorable is to follow in these things that are deeply embedded in you from a young age. Did you get a feeling for that? I uh, get a feeling like for the similarities between. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was like, I mean, there, there's definitely the tribalism. Um, I mean, you, you, you get to like a new unit and in the air force and you've immediately got, you know, a, a whole new number of friends, you know, that will do anything, mm-hmm. for you, which is, um, I mean, that that's I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, that's a nice feeling. Uh, yeah. So and it, it's kind of like the same thing in the evangelical circles in, in the South, um, as, as long as as long as your skin color is the right one. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to I was going to say, too. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Rob is, is one of the few people that we've spoken with that is running for things that is of my generation. So I can, you know, the looking at it from Nick's young baby eyes, um, the, the early 90s were a completely different kind of time. We didn't really have that, that even in the South, because I was in the South in I was in Texas in, in the early 90s. Um, we didn't really have that kind of. <sighs> blind patriotism that you wound up with after like, you know, nine eleven. Yeah. You, you didn't you didn't really have that. So it, it was a it was a different uh again being in being in Texas in the early nineties and then coming back to Colorado Springs with all the military, it was not what it is now. And it's uh and that's you know an an outsider looking in, but again spending time here with all the, you know, and, and that was my, that was my dateable time 
So <laughs> that was that window, you know, yeah, the, the <laughs> pool, the pool was 99% military, just pick a base. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I said it's it, the early 90s was a completely different time than it was, you know, 10 years later. Yeah, absolutely. So, what was your MMOS? Um, I, I was a one Charlie five. Um, that's uh, aerospace control and warning. Oh, um, and that was a that was a little bit of a um, a little bit of a connection to Colorado Springs there with NORAD um, mm-hmm. being headquartered here. So I, I went to a NORAD facility in Alaska uh, for the first time. So I, I was watching radars and a lot of the job is um, it's kind of the opposite of air traffic control. Mm-hmm. So air traffic controllers keep air uh, keep planes apart for <laughs> safety reasons, and weapons controllers are uh, some of the things that I was doing. We put planes together for intercepts. Mm-hmm. We were <laughs> we're doing real real intercepts against real Russian aircraft when I was up in Alaska for a yeah. lot of the time that I was up there. Did you ever play the game DefCon? I did. I didn't, but I know you're talking about. Yeah, because that's the, 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 there's. If you don't know, DefCon is a is a game. It looks like war games with that mm-hmm. with the screens at NORAD lighting up with the arcs of nuclear missiles and stuff like that. But you have all the stages ahead of that as the threat escalates, where you're laying down radar stations and sending out planes to intercept missiles as they come in and stuff like that. What was it? What was it about? I guess to, maybe nuclear deterrence or missile defense that really got you into that. Um, I, I wanted to go, I, that wasn't like a conscious decision. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get like nearly as many like conscious decisions in the military as the recruiters will allow you to believe. Yeah. But, so I, I, I intended to be an air traffic controller. <clears throat> That's what I wanted to go in in for. And they didn't have it. It's like your, your, your timing of like what job you get in the military has to line up with when tech school classes start, you know, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And when you go to the basic training, and my recruiter uh, told my recruiter <laughs> told me that the best way of uh, of trying to do that would be to go in open general. So no oh no, <laughs> I went in open general, <laughs> and they did have they did have spots that were open for air track control school at Keesler Air Force Base. It's where that that would have been. Uh-huh. And I um, I failed the you have to have a, a flight physical for the, mm-hmm. that job, and I failed the flight physical because my hemoglobin count my iron count my blood was too low okay yeah so because i failed the failed the physical the guy who's picking the job is like hey this sounds pretty similar it doesn't require a flight physical and that was a, a one Charlie five air tra- aerospace control and warning and uh he didn't know what he's talking about because like i just described it's actually the opposite <laughs> it is the exact opposite of the thing you wanted to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned Keesler because that's where my dad trained. He was in um, SATCOM, <coughs> telecommunications, stuff like that. So we went to Germany and Europe a lot, and we were doing the actual, like, quarter-inch jacks to, like, do switchboards and stuff like that to connect calls uh, and stuff like that. And then before he got out, he was down at Schriever doing SATCOM uh, and stuff like that. He was a, a part of SAC when that was still a thing, and we were based out of Omaha, so... Uh, but he wanted to fly helicopters, and because of his vision, or the, at least the standards for vision at that time, he couldn't. Um, but also, they revised it not long afterward, and he was kind of he had a kind of thing on his shoulder about that for a while. So you, so where did you end up moving around? Did you get to see cool places? Was there fun spots you got to go to? 
Yeah. So I was, I was up in, um, in Anchorage, uh, for four years and <laughs> this, this is, this is the things that happen in the military. So, um, I, I had orders to Panama <clears throat> and I was going to be going to Howard air force base in Panama. And there was a, there's a, a counter narcotic, um, radar facility that was down there. And around like the same time, um, I had found out about a special duty assignment at Naval Air Station Key West um, that I, I could uh, apply for. I was at a, in a long TDY in Florida uh, during this period. And whenever I came back, uh, I had two sets of, or it was three sets of orders. I had one sending me to Panama, which I wanted to go to. And then I had another one that was canceling those orders. And then I had another one that was giving me the special duty assignment at uh, NAS Key West. So I went from Alaska to Key West uh, back Oof. to back. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. And uh, spent, I spent, um, I, I really enjoyed Key West. Uh, I've spent a lot of time down there um, across my career. Uh, and then my last assignment was in Utah um, at Hill Air Force Base in Utah. And that uh -huh. was, that was, uh, that was probably like the hardest one for a lot of different reasons. Um, mm -hmm. a, Utah is very sterile in case you didn't know. Yes, um, I've been to the airport once. I I did learn to I did learn to snowboard in Utah, and that was that was a good part of Utah. Uh, oh, yeah, I've I've driven through Utah uh, a number of times going to Los Angeles, but yeah, I've I've not experienced the culture of of Utah uh, at all. So how did you end up in D.C. then? So in two thousand, oh, it was December two thousand. Um, I decided that I, I needed to get out of the, out of the air force. Um, I had a security clearance. I knew what a computer was. <laughs> so oh, that, uh, that, that opened up some possibilities. I mean, I've, I've had a computer since I was nine. My, my grandparents, uh, mm -hmm. somehow had the, had the foresight to know that that was going to be important. I got an Apple two C whenever I was nine years old. So I've oh yeah. For a while. Anyway, I, um, five and um, a quarter floppies floppy and add a whole 128k of ram heck yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's all you'll ever need yeah all you ever need <laughs> yeah but uh looking around at job opportunities and um then found I, I i found the job that i started with the startup <laughs> that i mentioned that was based in colorado springs mm -hmm. i I, fl I flew over the flew over the rockies from salt lake city to come into colorado springs to interview for that job in december 2000 and the the job was back in Key West. That's how I found it. Um, mm -hmm. so I went back to Key West as a contractor, uh, working for the for the company here, and then um, I was down there for an, another four years. I, I lived in Key West for seven years total, and um, I wasn't going to be able to do anything else with my career down in Key West. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a need for you know project managers and that kind of stuff uh, with the same company up in DC. So I moved up there in two thousand five. Um, so I was, I was in the DC area for 13 years total. Mm -hmm. That's That's quite a, that's quite a span. I've been there. I've been there once. It's, it's a fun area. I'd love to go back as a tourist. I don't know if I'd live there. Same thing with LA. I don't know. I so, don't know. I, I loved DC. I loved DC. <clears throat> seems so like much. there's a lot of culture. Yeah. I so. wanted to just never come back like ever. <laughs> And there's some, there's some, it's not, there's not any other place where you can 
kind of walk up like on a moment's notice and walk mm-hmm. into a big marble building and there's the freaking constitution like yeah right exactly. yeah that was that it, that's yeah you you can't do that kind of thing like anywhere else or, or you're or you're walking around you know on the east side of like the capitol and you know watch matt gates trip over a mm-hmm. trip over a a, a a divider divider rope that was pretty funny yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, when it's there, I just noticed the density. There's just a a power there that's very extrinsic. Just the density of the buildings. You're up like six stories around every single block, except where you have the mall. And there's people everywhere. And everything, like, people don't realize how small DC is because it was mm-hmm. built when people used to walk everywhere. So, like, you could fit, like, the capital of DC in, like, almost downtown Colorado Springs. It's really trippy. Um, just how small that area is, but it's so dense. And there's a, like I said, there's just so much energy and history. Yeah. The energy is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, so now I'm jealous that you got to live there. Just so you know. <laughs> it loses its luster after a little while. I mean, that, that was actually one of the reasons, one of the reasons that we, we had a list. There's about <laughs> five different reasons, you know, why we finally moved, moved to Colorado Springs after all the opportunities that I had. And one of the top reasons is traffic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being, being able, I, I don't work from an office anymore um, after COVID. Um, but whenever I was going to the office here, I live about 13 miles from my office. Um, and it would take me about 15 minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember like the first morning that I was here, you know, driving into the office, like, holy crap, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. interstate. Wow. Weird. And yeah. there's like, there's no traffic on it and that kind of stuff. And so like here you can kind of like plan 15, 20 minutes anywhere you have to go. If you're in DC, you have to plan an hour to an hour and 15 mm-hmm. minutes wherever you have to go. And you waste so much time in a car there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the roads make no sense. None. No yeah. sense. It's like they weren't made for cars or something. Right. Something weird. Well, like- I mean, if you're, if you're talking about <laughs> in DC, I think yeah. the guy I'm, probably not pronouncing this way because remember i'm from arkansas (laughs) (laughs) smack over lanfont um there's a plaza and a metro station there it's like Mm -hmm. he's the designer of dc and he he did all that on purpose to be intimidating for foreign visitors oh yeah (laughs) yeah well it's intimidating to to you know your your run-of-the-mill human just trying to find a grocery store (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So when did your when did your politics start to change? Obviously, you're you're going you're in the, the Air Force there. You're going into private industry. We're still kind of related to the Air Force and that. And then you're coming out to Colorado Springs. So when are you personally like taking stock and be like, hey, man, maybe things aren't are different than I thought. Um. So the um, the last the la- last Republican that I voted for was. George Bush senior. Oh, um, okay. And, and, at, and after that, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that like my politics like started changing. It's, uh, that was during the time whenever I was like really starting to learn about, um, about some of the, the detriments of the, of our two party system and starting to learn more about the coalition politics that happen with par- parliamentary <laughs> systems in like other countries and 
uh, I started like thinking, you know, I started supporting like more third party uh, candidates like during that time trying to change something basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, I was still like, you know, conservative leaning. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the, in, in a lot of, especially like in Arkansas, you know, where I grew up, you know, it, it's a, it's a constant reinforcement of all you have to do is pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. and you can have the American dream. And as I was going out into the world, you know, I was starting to get exposed, you know, to a lot more types of people, a lot more cultures, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, um, you start realizing that that's not necessarily the case. And then you start realizing and you start thinking about, well, why would this particular aspect be emphasized so heavily? Why is it that so many people are emphasizing this concept of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you can have the American dream. You can make it to why are, why is everyone emphasizing that so much? And then you start realizing who that benefits. And that doesn't really, that, that concept, that, that way of thinking doesn't really benefit anyone. It it doesn't really benefit any one person. It really benefits corporations. Right. Uh, So I don't know. It's, it, it was a, it was a long series of starting to put puzzle pieces together. Um, and then, then, um, in, in 2000, starting like in 2006 and leading up to 2008 when president Obama was elected and, and you really start to see the, the, the racism, um, that Out was loud. still like embedded yep. in the country, but it just been like quiet for a while and all of that to come roaring back. Uh, was also very uh, validating from some of the the things that had already been piecing together, you know, like myself. And I don't know, it's a, a it was a it was a process. And then you when you start to understand, you know, concepts of intersectionalism, and you start to realize that um, that all marginalized people, you know, have something in common. And I don't mm-hmm. know, it was a it was a very it, it was a it was a long and deep and very philosophical. Um, deconstruction of what I've been taught. I, yeah, I can I can understand that. And you're growing up in an evangelical house as well, where it's like this is the way things are. This is the way they have been for thousands of years before you were even born. There's a divine a divinity to it all. So it's not just that it's you're pulling up here by your bootstraps. It's like there's a, a religious component to it. Where if you fall out of that, if you start doubting the stuff that you were raised in that's like an affront to God, or at least it was in, in my case. So when I started to have those thought experiments of why is this so weird and perversely American? Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's like, Oh God, what, what if I go to hell for eternity after this? Cause I thought of something different. And I don't know if you had got have that fun experience uh, hand in hand with exploring your political uh, views. Well, that's kind of what Emily was talking about earlier, where like if she and I are like similar age, then mm-hmm. we watch the transformation Oh yeah, from, from where religion and politics really didn't have a lot to do with each other. That's mm-hmm. the whole that abortion was invented as a wedge issue was to get more evangelicals to vote. I mean, mm-hmm. that, yep. that's why this guy named Paul Weirich, you know, the who was involved in the creation of the Heritage Foundation. That's why he invented it specifically. Mm-hmm. Happened to that voting block. So we saw the transformation. See, I didn't grow up with Fox News. That's relatively yeah. low. And Emily probably didn't either. Nope. So we, we saw the transformation 
And then, and then Nick, you experienced it. You, you got that, like you, we experienced the transformation from fairly good separation of church and state politics mm-hmm. and religion didn't really mix all that much to Christian nationalism and yep. the very, very deliberate transformation that happened over that. So mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't ever remember that growing up that, you know, I got, I got to vote for like Ronald Reagan or I got to vote for George Bush before religious reasons. Yep. Yeah much more of a conservative principles kind of reason. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, Ar- that- Arkansas was also like one of the last states. Um, it, it wasn't until 2012 that the, the last legislative body in Arkansas um, was flipped to Republican. It was mm-hmm. the last state after Reconstruction to flip to Republicans. And there's a yeah. lot of really strong Democrats, a lot of Democratic history in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people don't understand that like party switch that happened, you know, that the, the whole yeah. naming all that so so tell us about uh, house district 14 that's a that's a tough district for uh, a democrat up there and we were talking with ryan lucas the other day and w- one of the big priorities um and talking points is all of that development that's happening up there um i know you ha- probably have whataburger or in and out every <laughs> single day while you bounce by the shields uh on your way to watch a movie at the icon cinema uh, and all that. I'm sure that's totally a Rob Rogers move, but um, <laughs> developers seem to have kind of free leash up there to do what they want, and the city is kind of like, yeah, sure, why not? Real quick, I'm still here. I just got to step away for a second. I got to deal with the dog thing. Yeah, fine. You got it. No problem. For the record, I'm a Sonic guy. Oh. <laughs> right? Waterburger. I, I, still, I still have not really seen I do not understand like why anybody would be waiting, you know, still, you know, in those long lines for in and out. Nostalgia. I'm going to. It's good. It's good, but it's not all that. I'll inject a hot take. We went. So in Phoenix, we had Whataburger and in and out and I was there for a couple of years. In and out. Not very good. And Whataburger don't really care for it. So I, yeah, I don't, I understand there's a reputation, but no, I don't, I don't get it at all anyway sorry i i mean yeah i mean everybody's like seeing what's happened on the in the northeast part of colorado springs um i mean i, I remember whenever i was coming out here you know first and i had some co-workers that lived you know in, in pine creek you know right off of briargate and briargate ended at what union for a long time and it wasn't anything but you know cow pastures you know past right that now it's uh, not relatively not that long ago. Um, you know, now it's it's just full of houses and that kind of thing. I, I live in Wolf Ranch, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I live in one of those old cow pastures. Yeah, everything but, beyond Powers there is so that Target, even though that Target's like ten, fifteen years old, it's like that just came up yesterday. It feels like it. And I mean, Cordero. I'm I'm not, I'm I'm not a construction developer, you know, so I'm I'm speaking. <clears throat> I'm speaking a little bit, you know, like out of my lane, mm-hmm. but we we all know like what's going on in Colorado Springs. And there's a um, Colorado Springs is likely going to be the largest city in the United States um, in the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, we're, we're going to to continue to experience this accelerated exponential growth. Mm-hmm. And so because of that exponential growth that's like going on in addition to the influence that the developer community that 
basically controls, you know, the city council and the county commission. I mean, they're 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 making their money. You know, I mean, it's it's exactly what you would expect whenever, you know, that type of a community with those kind of interests, you know, have control uh, over decisions in the county and the city. That shouldn't really be surprising to anybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the same time, there's also a lot of not in my backyard, you know, type of mentality that's going on too. the nimbyism. <clears throat> yeah. And, and while I get it, I mean, nobody, nobody wants their, nobody wants their mountain view blocked by an apartment complex, <laughs> you know, no, yeah. nobody, nobody <clears throat> with their living in their single family homes, nobody wants, you know, their townhouses, you know, like sitting next door to them too. And, and there's a lot of concerns and worry, you know, about what kind of environment that's going to create. And, so the, the, these interests are like competing with each other, right? Except that one side has power and one side doesn't. Yeah. And I've, I've talked with a lot of people about this like recently that, that the, the growth, the exponential growth, it's inevitable. We're not going to change it. That's that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And these people have to have somewhere to live. And these people have to have somewhere to work. And they have to have somewhere to play. And it's not always going to be ideal decisions that are made to support that type of thing that's happening and the people who can control the city council and uh county commission they 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 are there looking at these opportunities for how they can continue to uh to fulfill their objectives yeah and so the 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 general public though has to become more involved with the shaping of this growth that is inevitable it can't it can't be like an all or nothing thing you know there there have to be i mean sure okay we, we don't want like an apartment complex here in this particular neighborhood okay we have to have it so where are we going to put it yeah you know it's in there there has to be much more of a productive conversation that's like going on about these things and people also have to they, they have to look at how they're voting <laughs> at the same time <laughs> right because that because the way that the way that voting patterns have happened over the last, you know, 20, 30 years don't line up with what their concerns are now. Am I making sense with this? Yeah. They, they're, they're concerned about like the growth and how this is being handled. But the way that they're voting doesn't really line up with things that are going to result in productive solutions. It's a thing down here in Colorado Springs where we vote against the uh, ounce of prevention, but then we have to eat down the pound of cure, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, uh, which is doesn't make any sense. And it is the opposite of conservatism, especially if you're one of those people who <laughs> bangs their fists about fiscal conservatism. It doesn't make <sighs> much sense. Like, we wouldn't need to see if the general fund just addressed road repairs long time ago. We wouldn't need to worry about stormwater if we just maintained them for years and years and years. And I see on the north end, you know, the trips that I do get to make up there is there. It is so disconnected. Like every place is it's like a Citadel Mall on every corner. Like there's a sea of parking lots and then a structure and it's you can't walk anywhere. Everything is a mile from everything else. And I know that down the road there are going to be things that come of that especially when so many houses are being built up there too yep i mean well yeah i mean it, 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 i'm i'm thinking like most recently I mean, there's all of like this disc these, these disconnected communities you know that are being built and none of them really have any 
um, any any food or services like within them. You do have to right. travel outside of them in order to get you know to those particular like services or buy food and that kind of thing. So all of this is like going on, and some some of that I believe is a side effect of of how heavily this particular area in Colorado in general have leveraged metro districts. Um, and that's kind of been done like out of necessity because of Tabor restrictions. So it's all like this snowballing effect that's like happening. So you see like all this disconnected stuff that's like going on and, and I mean, it's, and, and they are really disconnected. I mean, a Metro district is a quasi government organization that even has the ability of, you know, imposing taxes. Right. It kind of is by design. Now, then I start hearing about and doing more reading about the Banning Lewis Ranch expansion that's going on. I mean, Banning Ban Lewis Ranch is going to be massive. It <laughs> like, is. Yeah. More massive. Yep. Than, like, I don't think anybody like really realizes. And I'm sitting here looking at this and there's all of like these disconnected communities that are being built in between Banning Lewis Ranch was going to be a massive. It's going to be a city in, in and of itself. And in, in, in between that in the interstate is all of these little disconnected communities and all of these this transportation inf- infrastructure that has been built for cars right now and not mass transit and not being built for the amount of cars that are going to be on those roads in the next 10 years, 15 years or something like that. Yep. Right. I'm just sitting here thinking about what a nightmare that that's eventually going to be for everyone involved. Yeah, oh, yeah it's going to suck. And it's you- going gonna, gonna to suck so much. And that's even with those major, like, six-lane arterials going up there, Voyager, InterQuests, you know, just crisscrossing up there, um, Northgate, stuff like that. Like, it's going to become a nightmare because everyone has to leave their residential bronchial to accomplish anything, uh, and then that's going to tax the uh, infrastructure. Um, We could talk about infrastructure all day but what are some other issues Uh, we didn't even get to talk about metropolitan tax districts when we had ryan on emily was like i'm gonna fall asleep say it's like no i'm 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 leaving for that that is going to be a nick only show no well i can tell but (laughs) (laughs) but but yes obviously um the north end north and east northeast side and increasingly i'm gonna guess like the east side as they fill in banning lewis Metropolitan tax districts, as the developers are passing on infrastructure spends to homeowners, that's a big heckin' deal. What do you hear about people getting this extra little line item on their bill that's like, we gotta pay this so that the developers can have their extra dollars? Or are they saying something else entirely? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was that was one of the it, that's actually on in my platform. It's one of the and, and I get it, Emily. It's not it's not controversial. It's not dramatic. It's it's, it's very honestly, it's, it's, it's very even, much. It's, it's just the uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it's, it's more than that um, for myself personally, although I understand the the need for these conversations. Um, I, <laughs> It, it numbers. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. And 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 it it it's just it's easier for me to look at someone else that I trust and be like, okay, so tell me like I'm five. Just yeah. break it down to the very smallest. You know why is this bad? Why is this good? Do not throw numbers at me, or I will cry. <laughs> I, I think I think I can do that without. I think I can do that without right. mentioning the numbers. Yeah. Right? Okay. Because because metro districts are not inherently bad. 
And there's and they they aren't. And they there there had to be a way to because voters have to vote on tax increases and that kind of thing, like in the state because of Tabor, there has to be a way to raise the money to build out the infrastructure for new development. That's really what it comes down to. They got You have to build streets. You got to be able to lay pipe. You got to be able to run wire, right, to mm-hmm. build these developments out. But that'd be really difficult for the city of Colorado Springs to absorb because they'd have to get approval from the voters to raise taxes, to raise tax revenue in order to do these types of things. And there's not mm-hmm. enough money available right now. That's the closest I'll get the numbers. Um, <laughs> money the there. Okay. So, but they aren't inherently bad. Um, my issue with them and, and living in one too has always been the transparency. And I don't, I'm not even accusing like developers of doing anything nefarious. I think that they are probably following the law. But whenever a new development, like so, whenever Wolf Ranch was first being constructed, mm-hmm. the Metro District was set up to support it. Uh, there was no one here. There was no residents here to serve on because the Metro District boards are elected positions, but there's no one here to fill them. So the developers fill those board seats. Mm-hmm. And then as the as the residents start moving into the the area, somewhere buried in all of like your closing documents and all the documents for you owning a house, it's going to explain a little bit more about what the Metro District is, but it's buried. Mm-hmm. You don't really know. You know, you live in a Metro yep. District. But you don't really know like what it is. You don't know how to exercise any influence on elected officials. You don't know anything about it. And then you can't find any information about it because there's no standards for how the information should be stored and provided to homeowners like online or something like that. It's hard right, to find right. the. And then they do things like they they schedule the board meetings at like 8 a.m. at a lawyer's office like downtown. On yep. a Tuesday. Probably probably convenient for them. So it's it's there's no there's no way of getting involved or discovering how these hundreds of thousands of dollars are being used, what the priorities are. And these board seats continue to be filled by developers because mm-hmm. no one really knows that, yeah, how, how to actually get involved. So the developers, as you would expect, I'm not criticizing them, this, them for this, they continue making decisions that are probably going to be in their best interest. Yep. Right? Yep. I can also understand too that <clears throat> at the beginning of a development, there's going to be a lot of things that homeowners don't understand have to be done. They don't want to spend any more of like the tax dollars building out roads that aren't going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. I, I get that, right? I mean, I can I can see like why that would be a problem. So my main issue like with it, and this is living in one and knowing how many there are like in the in the county, is the transparency. And I, I think that you should be provided a lot better information, a lot simpler to understand information when you're contemplating buying. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever you close on a house in uh, in a metro district and there is a board filled seat mm-hmm. uh, i'm sorry developer filled seat there you should have the opportunity at that moment to n- nominate yourself and fill that seat as a homeowner uh, i think that there should be standards this is 2022 yep. <laughs> okay we should have some standards for what a metro district <laughs> website looks like right i should be able to go to any metro district website in the state and have the same structure be able to find the same information in the same place yeah Board meetings should not be held at 8 a.m. in an office like downtown. They should be <laughs> held at times that are convenient for homeowners, you know, that are like working. It's yep. those types of things that that could be done in order to improve the situation itself. Would you support an audit then of Metro Tax Districts? Um, they they do. There is a requirement uh-huh. uh, to have to have an independent audit periodically. 
I don't know how often that is, but um, there there is a requirement for that. Yes, it doesn't seem like it's very toothy, but um, I guess that's kind of buried in the results and the whole kind of Byzantine process in which all of this happens. And I think you raise a really good point: is if you want to get involved in something locally with like politics and that, there's a cliff you have to scale in order to understand mm-hmm. what's going on, what the mechanisms are, where to find the info, what the, and then ultimately what the information oh, yeah. is and then what you can actually do with that information once you have it. And so I, I get that even if it's in the best interest of everyone to get involved, there are times where it's like, unless you are truly out there and <laughs> crusading to get this information, it's not available. You're not going to understand these complex systems that are governing how these things work unless you spend years diving in and being a a fanboy and studious to to get what's going on. And it seems like you had that kind of thing going on. Obviously, you've got a very tech-angled, sophisticated approach and and, uh, background, but for the layman, it's like, how am I ever going to understand this, ever? Yeah, that's just not... um that's actually probably one of the things that has kept me from actively running for a thing. Um, That and the fact that I think I'm probably better suited for, you know, just roaming the streets with a a pack of humans and screaming into the void. There we go. That's a good, I love that. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's a, there's a place and there's a role for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. it, does, it doesn't have to be like elected office. Yes. It does have to be engaged. Mm-hmm. 100%. Everybody needs to do something. Everybody needs to be involved somehow. Otherwise, you know, I mean, in, in society doesn't work, you know, like a, mm-hmm. it, it's not a spectator sport, you know? Yeah. When you get this, you get these people that even now still talk about, you know, well, I'm just not political. Do you know how privileged that is to not to not want to be involved in the decisions that are being made, even at the local level? Or, you know, these are these are the decisions that are being made that affect the lives of yourself and everyone around you. How can you still sit there and be like, oh, no, it's fine. I mean, I'm you know, I'm just I don't really care for it. Nobody really cares for it. It's not, it, but it's something that has to be, has done. To be done. You have, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention, or the wrong people will. <laughs> yes, and and like I said, the the privilege of of not being political. <sighs> I won't even lie. It makes me very ragey, very ragey. That's a good word. It's, it's, but it's because awful. it makes sense. It just, it, <laughs> <Yes>. it just does. <laughs> what other yep. issues up there are, are pressing in HD 14? Obviously developers, 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 but what else isn't get happening or what are some issues in pla- planks of your platform uh, <laughs> that the, only really the state can take care of? Um, they're the, the boundaries of Academy District 20 and the school district fall mm-hmm. within, um, falls entirely within, you know, the, the boundaries of House District 14. Um, and they, I mean, 
public education is also a big emphasis of mine. I mean, I already mentioned that there was a direct line with what happened with the school boards in the area. And yeah. now um, public education is something that I've always valued. Um, but Rob, <laughs> why, it, why are we going to put more money into schools when it's just going to go to sloshy middle management administrators that are not going to help the kids? We spend so much money on schools as is. What? How, how can you even fix that? Who spends money on schools? Who? School choice. That's what we need. No. Vouchers. No. Rob, vouchers. No. Vouchers. No. I'm going to... I'm mm. <laughs> I'm trolling you, but that, that's that's <laughs> definitely the. Uh... <laughs> I I'm I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> I got your tell, Nick. <laughs> um. So, the 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 first the first thing I mean that, that all parents in El Paso County are experiencing is the is, is the impact of the shortage of teachers. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, we're, we're bleeding teachers in in all districts. I mean, the districts, none of the districts seem to be like immune from this. I mean, just massive amounts of like vacancies and teachers, teachers, I mean, career teachers, career educators leaving. And it's there's a couple of different reasons for that. Like in my mind, number one, Colorado is now last of the 50 states in teacher pay uh, for mm -hmm. a lot of different reasons. So it's getting more and more difficult to attract uh, people to replace those teachers who are leaving. Um we're, we're also experiencing, um, they are also experiencing just a, a decline in the respect for the profession too, uh, because of all the nonsense that gets created and that unfortunately our elected school board members in, in all of our major districts are now promoting. Yep. Sure. Um, so I don't know that necessarily that we can do anything to help that other than, you know, for all of the teachers, you know, that are listening. I think I respect your profession just about more than any others um, because you are the ones who teach our kids um, how to live productively in society, which is kind of important. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate teachers and more of us who are talking about how we appreciate teachers and we understand what it is that they do for all of us, you know, in, in that public service role, mm -hmm. uh, I think is important. Um, but there's, there's also some legislative solutions to that too. Um, I mean, uh, you have to go back in time to like, to really realize like how a lot of like the started, you know, all the way back into like 2000, whenever amendment 23 was passed, which was supposed to protect public education levels and allow and protect it against inflation, population growth, and those kind of things. And then whenever the recession in 2008 happened, the legislators are having to look around for how are we, how are we going to overcome these uh, tax revenue deficits for the state? Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, like all <laughs> government seems to do, they turn and start looking at education, cutting uh, education funding first. Sure. And that kind of went counter to the intent of Amendment 23, which the voters passed. Sure. And. That's where the the a lot of people have probably heard of the BS factor or budget stabilization factor mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that allowed all of this to happen. That that went all the way to the, to the state supreme court um, because the legislators were not acting within the intent of this amendment, and the state supreme court where they were shown a specific phrase in Amendment Twenty Three, which places the emphasis on per pupil funding. And per pupil funding doesn't include everything that goes into uh, funding a school system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they were legally allowed to reference that particular metric and lower the amount of uh, money that was being provided to the public education system. So that has resulted in over time, because at the same time that they are decreasing the amount of public education funding, the state population is growing you know, at, a, at an exponential rate as well. Mm-hmm. So we are uh, almost at the same level of public edu- education funding uh, that we were back whenever Amendment 23 was passed. Um, the, the situation is almost the same. It's gotten that bad. Over over mm-hmm. the period, uh, public education systems have been underfunded $10 billion. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, we can do some things. I mean, number one, to prevent that kind of situation from happening in the future, because mm-hmm. if there's, and there will be another recession, you know, mm-hmm. economics is cyclical. So we're going to have another recession. So when that happens again, uh, <clears throat> look everywhere else, for expenditure reductions before public education, at least prioritize it uh, to to keep it in place so we don't make the situation worse. Oh, yeah, Um, because I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was going to say, even though I know it's not your, um, you know, it's not your your district, your area, um, looking at uh, both of my kids went to my, my youngest went to D11 all through school. Um, and my oldest went to District 2 and then into District 11. And the difference between what it looked like when my now 30-year-old graduated high school and, you know, what it looked like when my now 19-year-old finished school. Um the the quality of teachers is is and and that's not that's not to say that we're only getting bad teachers it's we can't afford to retain the ones that we need to and you know the 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 infrastructure infrastructure of the schools i mean we have kids going to school right now that are, are going to school in crumbling buildings yeah. with water they can't drink. Um, you know, it's, it is absolute insanity in, in some ways. And, and I know this, this comes from a, a whatever kind of place. I'm really glad that my children are no longer in school here because I can't, I can't say the quality of education they would receive now compared to even just a couple of years ago and then you know 10 15 years ago yeah and and you speak so to, the, to the speak of to, to real quick to, to speaking <laughs> to the aging infrastructure because i grew i went to middle school and high school in district 11 and doherty where i graduated is now over twice as old as it was when i was there and so boo his boo his sorry uh, yeah. And uh, so so it's it's like the, the cost of infrastructure and upgrading and maintenance and stuff just mm-hmm. increases dramatically oh, yeah. as you don't fund it. Yep. Anyway, Sorry, Rob. Nick, we're a, we're a Palmer family. Well, that's not my fault. So we have to we can't really be friends. All right. It's OK. I mean, you, you bring up like an interesting point, though, too, which. You know, I, obviously, my primary concerns, you know, would be the, the constituents mm. of my particular district. Yes. And I'm acknowledging that. I mean, I've, I've talked about that a lot, you know, over the last, like, six months. Mm-hmm. 
at the same time, <laughs> there is something fundamentally wrong with the quality of the facility and the quality of the education that one receives. Yes. Being dependent on where you live geographically. Oh, the property taxes. In, in a city that, like Colorado Springs, we're not... <laughs> We're not talking about a comparison between like, you know, California and Colorado. We're yeah. talking about we're talking about districts that are neighboring each other in the mm-hmm. city. Yeah. And yep. that is so strange to me. You know, I mean I, that yep. that's that seems like a big failure to me that that mm-hmm. we would have those kind of equity issues within a city like Colorado Springs. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. You know, it's it's you hear you know, people that are moving to moving into the springs specifically to, you know, go to, you know, your district um, that are <clears throat> finding and, and I'm not advocating for this. However, if necessary, finding people that live in your area so they can use that address and send their children to a school that is not falling apart around them. Yeah. And it's it is absolute insanity. It is insanity. Yeah, and the difference between I mean, you've got District 20 right in your wheel well there, but then compare that to Harrison District 2 and oh, yeah. and even in, in District 11 and just like one team's one district's got regular lacrosse teams and the other one is like how are our buildings falling apart? And you're yeah. right, it's creating <laughs> that stark contrast. Is there something mm-hmm. that can be done at a state to be like especially with the the partial repeal of Gallagher on property taxes um, to like equalize this, these districts across the state instead of wherever they have enough money to get mill levy overrides to pay for things that they desperately need. Cause we've shot down a number of those overrides in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Or, or they just don't get put on the ballot um, <clears throat> either, which is something that we <clears throat> we've experienced recently up here mm-hmm. um which is this still kind of like blows my mind too you know of in a, in a, in a state where <laughs> they deliberately design some things to allow the voters to vote on tax increases and that kind of stuff and then they yeah. just don't let us vote on it either but that's all i guess that's a i guess that's another <laughs> another issue yeah um there there are the the formulas that are used for determining how much state funding goes to what school districts and the level uh, mm-hmm. that, that that's uh, the level of that because of the way that the formulas um, are designed and some of the elements that are considered like as an example, you know, the, the amount of property taxes that are paid within like certain districts because of the differences in um, the types of, excuse me, the types of homes and that kind of stuff. There are some adjustments and there, there, there have been a lot of people who've been calling for adjustments for that. Uh, for uh, for quite a while, mm-hmm. so there are ways of like making adjustments, um, making adjustments to how all the state funding is distributed. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm hopeful that we're able to triangulate that better, so that we aren't having to have individual districts like, please give us an extra five mils or whatever, so that we can replace these, add air conditioning to these sixty year old buildings. Uh, otherwise. The students are going to freaking not learn. And then, of course, you go on Facebook, unfortunately. And you're like, well, I grew up and I had, you know, it was 120 degrees in my classroom and I learned so much. 
Yeah, not a thing. Uh, not a, Absolutely I had not. No, no issues whatsoever. I don't know what kids are whining about these days. Well, let's see. Can we talk about climate change and the fact that Colorado is is probably, you know, many degrees hotter now in the the spring and, and early summer than it was years ago when I was in school? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, when I was growing up here and didn't have to have a fan in a window or an air conditioner living in a, a, a an actual full size freaking house in the summertime because it wasn't that hot. Yeah, Colorado Homes didn't have AC. <laughs> Colorado Homes still don't have AC. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Rob's wandering off screen. <laughs> no, I went and I went and grabbed coffee. Oh, great. Yeah. That's okay. That's actually whenever I was dealing with dog stuff, that's actually what I did is get some more Got um, coffee. I don't want to take out too much more of your time, but I do want to ask, and this is something I've been asking um, the previous candidates as well, is that you and Alvin and and Ryan and that are putting a lot of effort into branding and putting yourselves out there and making yourselves visible. Like I, you are a presence here. And a problem that we've had. Um, oh, you're going to ask the question I wanted to ask. It. Well, you're too busy whatever you're doing. So I'm... Taking, I'm being a host. His mind. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, in Colorado Springs, particular, where we haven't had a reliable, you know, left-leaning candidate, you get these candidates that come in, they get really excited, they think, oh man, all those unaffiliated voters are probably going to go to me. The numbers are looking good. I'm getting all this support. All this money is getting spent. The, the number comes. Um, they're in a plus ten, plus twenty R district, which you know. 14 is not, not a friendly climate for someone who's like, I am a Democrat. So, and then they, they lose and then they disappear. They even flee the state. Um, we, and it's like, we need people who come back to this over and over again. So, Rob, what happens in elections? Say you don't win. What happens? I, I'm going to continue doing the same thing that I am for a long time. Um I mean, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be moving, um, you know, anywhere. I'm, uh, I, I mean, I, I understood. I mean, I'm not, I'm not naive. I think, I think that, it, that I have really good chances of winning to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. I'm not naive to the fact that, you know, I, that there it is a heavily Republican district as well. Yeah. They have um, a fight on it, your hands to do it, but say it again. Oh, saying that, uh, not naive to the fact that you have a fight on your hands to See, accomplish, yeah, to accomplish this. But you know, I've 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 seen everyone that we've talked to so far. Um, everyone is willing to put in the fight, and then even if something happens and and they're not fighting at at the level they want to, will be continuing to fight. Even I mean. I, at whatever whatever level they're at you know going to the school board meetings and disrupting and and being like okay y'all are just ridiculous and we can't do this anymore kind Working of behind stuff. the scenes yes yeah i mean well it's 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 probably i mean like i said I mean, it's gonna be the same thing that i have been doing I mean, i've been fighting uh it's some level for something for mm -hmm. for a decade yeah and so that, that's what i said before i mean like they the, the political side of this is is newer for me, but the activism side is not. Yep. Mm -hmm. And 
So, I mean, I, I, I have, I would have, I have every intention. I, I didn't realize like how much uh, the foundational aspects of running for office were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't done this like part before. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, I had kind of a foundation. And I'd been building a community of parents uh, specifically, you know, who are in, in this area um, who were like already activated, who were already ready, you know, to, to, to have their attention focused, you know, on something like what, um, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do here. So that, that definitely helped. And it gave me a leg up um, compared to, compared to, you know, some of the other like first time candidates. Um, but I've, I mean, I've already recognized and my wife and I've even talked about this too. And fortunately she like 100% like agrees with me. Cause this wouldn't work if, you know, like my family yeah. like, wasn't on board. <laughs> yeah. But, um, she's I'm doing she's this like, alone. <laughs> you, you have to, you have to continue doing this. You have to continue uh, maintaining the momentum. Like even if I didn't win, uh, that doesn't mean that my TikTok, you know, account, you know, is going to go dark. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that I'm not going to still be engaging with people on social media in, in some, some level to continue building that foundation. It's not going to mean that I'm not going to continue going to events. I'm not going to continue speaking at school board meetings, all of that stuff. None of that changes. Actually, none of that changes regardless of whether I win or lose. Um, my the, the my TikTok video that's gotten like the most views and, and uh, it's a couple million people have like seen this. I was speaking at a school board meeting, and I told the a, 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 uh, ASD twenty board that I was always I quoted the Jackson Five, and I I will always be there. Uh, yeah. I'm always going to be there holding them accountable. I'm always going to be holding my elected officials accountable, and I expect the same thing. I mean, if, if if I'm elected, I expect the same thing from other people too to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. Or the things that I do, so I'm, Town I'm halls. trying to be. I'm trying to be an example of what it means to be an engaged citizen. Mm-hmm. And is it hard? And does it take work? Yeah. But in our current climate, with the risks to our democracy that we're currently facing, this is what it takes. That's yep. that's, that's a good answer. And do you would you do you run in 2024? Uh, regardless of the outcome, yes. Okay, that's I I think that's our first commitment to to running again. Um, and I realize that's, that's early days, but it's good. Cause like I said, you've got, you've got this, the sweater, Mr. Rogers thing going on. You can't just mm-hmm. let that dissipate into the air, even if you're still going to be an activist. Like we can't, <laughs> you can't lose that just because you lost one race. Like you can't do that. Now I'm going to say you are, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's too precious, Rob. That's re- it's too good. I know. <laughs> so, I know. Okay. Who, so yeah, go part of. Yeah, part of part of the thing that I do here um, is I'm I'm the the research whatever person. Uh, So I am on your ballotpedia, and I going through your um, your connection, you know, candidate connection survey thing. Yep. And I'm looking, and I I was the question that they ask um, about the book essay film or something else you could recommend to someone who wants to understand your political philosophy. When I saw what, what you gave as, as your, uh, your answer is, is this is a poem that I thought more people knew about and but then over the years finding out that nobody knows what I'm talking about 
when I bring up this poem um, is, is, it is, is amazing. So the poem, I'll let you talk about it. <laughs> um, just that, like why, why, why I like referenced that? Well, not only that, but the, the poem itself is, is because this is something that I found years and years and years ago uh, that actually helped form some of the, some kind of the backbone almost of why I am an activist, why I am, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I just, I enjoy seeing that, that this is what it is. Um, If if anybody wants to look it up, it's like listening and sits to laugh often and much. Um, A lot of people think that you'll see it being referenced as uh, as Mm -hmm. a poem. Uh, but it, it probably not isn't the case. Um, yes. It's some someone else, and I can't remember her name now. Bessie Stanley. Yeah, so some someone else <laughs> wrote it. Likely, I don't even know yes. that that's been like confirmed, but likely it hasn't been. Else, someone else wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the last line that I, I just whenever I, I thought, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it in a political context before until I'm having to like think about it, and. The last line is uh, to know that one life has breathed easier because you have lived here. This is to have succeeded. Mm-hmm. And I think that that summarize, summarizes public service and elected office so much. Mm-hmm. Like well, yeah. you have to distill it down into like a couple of sentences. That is what it's all about. It's mm-hmm. not about anything else other yep. than to make sure that the people that you are representing breathe easier. And that their mm-hmm. lives are better. That's it. That's all. So I've thought about that a lot. I've thought about the, about that a lot in the political context since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said it's um and again it, it may be uh it, it may be because we are again from from the same, you know, the, the same age group, the, the same, you know, we're we're some Gen X babies. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that seeing, because again, I found this a really long time ago and that, that was something that, that absolutely spoke to me as this is, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to be on this planet. And so again, seeing it, it just, it might just be a me thing. I may be the only person to ever tell you how much it means to me to know that this specific set of words is, is something that you look at and, and take your inspiration from. Cause it's I, not supposed th- to make me cry. Not supposed to make me cry on a, <laughs> well, that's what we do here. I haven't made anybody <laughs> cry yet. <laughs> we are working on it. We are really developing a really yep. good packet for emotional. Okay. So <laughs> if anyone wants to, to look up the poem, it's, it's a very, it's, really short it's not a big you know epic anything um and it it you will find it online reference to ralph waldo emerson and is just called to laugh often and much and it is yeah it's it's a i'm not going to read the whole thing because i absolutely will cry <laughs> um <laughs> we don't need to see i mean i'm a, i'm a hot mess today as it is 
we don't need to make this any worse. But I highly recommend you look it up. I highly recommend that you read it and, and read it as, as Rob was saying in, in the, in the spirit of political thinking. And it, it takes on a whole new, mm, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> okay. Well, Emily, did you have other questions for Rob while we've got him here? <laughs> Doritos, on, what do you think it? about Doritos? Rob, what, what, what's, what's your hot take? <laughs> Cooler ranch yeah. or, or nacho cheesier? I like, there's like, there's like some flavor I picked up like in a, like a, a, a truck stop or like something. <laughs> they're spicy and I don't remember what they're called, but I like spicy stuff. So, oh, okay. I like the salsa verde ones or something. Give, give me Takis. Oh, man. Yeah, you got to have those. Well, Rob, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you uh, like messaging or is there something that you wanted to express that maybe in other more or less casual interviews that you haven't been able to express yet as a person, as a candidate, or just as a resident of the north side of Colorado Springs? This is, this is your space to say whatever you want to say. Your soapbox. I mean, I, I suppose I mean I've, I've repeated this. I mean, I'm kind of like casual, like to begin with, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, know. I'm, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm kind of talking to you guys the way that I've like talked to like everybody else, you know. But that, I mean, that's that, I, I think that that is exactly like where I'm going with what I'm mm -hmm. about to say. Is the elected officials are not these people that are like up on these pedestals, you know, up on Mount Olympus, you know, being being awaited to be, you know, like called down. We're all just like people, and the person who's running for office needs to remember that, but the general public needs to remember that too. Mm -hmm. We're just, just people. And the role of a politician, the role of an elected official is not to impose their will. This is something I think that a lot of people get wrong. And I think that politicians, I think that the view of politics is even, is even wrong. It is not to impose your will. It is to listen to people and then do things that is that is uh, going to help them and it is in their best interest. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and th and this is this is where you know I start I start to have like a, a few arguments with some people you know like more on the left, right? Because I have to represent everybody, I and mean, right. this is part of like my taglines too, right? And I don't care if there's an RDLRG beside your name, everybody deserves adequate representation. They, mm -hmm. they just do. It doesn't the, the political affiliation like does not matter in that case. And that means that I have to make compromises with the things that I believe as a person mm -hmm. with what my worldview tells me. I have to make compromises based on what I hear from people who uh, may have different uh, political leanings. That's the way it's supposed to work. There's nothing wrong with me as a Democrat doing that, listening to Republicans and having to figure out, OK, how do I incorporate what they are saying that they want into my worldview. Now, what I won't compromise on, I will not compromise human rights because we shouldn't even mm -hmm. be debating that in the first place. No, we should not. Right. There right. are some things that we just shouldn't even be talking about. And I think that we should probably just stop talking about them. <laughs> it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, that there are some fundamental things that, that are just there. <laughs> People already know about me. I'm not compromising human rights. The, the, mm -hmm. the, the end. We, we can move on to something else, and I'm going to do the best. I, I'm going to be the best representative you've ever seen. We're not talking about that. 
And that's, that is the way that we have to all start thinking. Mm -hmm. It is not, we're all living together in this massive, complicated, diverse society. It, we cannot, we cannot be so myopic to yep. think that only our way is the right way. And that we have to like be going like in the, in this direction, you know, we have to stop thinking about things as opposing views and start mm -hmm. thinking about them as diverse views. Mm-hmm start to become more productive like as a society because we're all going to live or die on this big rock you know what? rotating yep. go, going around the, the sun and we, we have to start figuring out ways of setting aside and even stop characterizing them as differences we just have the viewpoints you know different ways mm -hmm. of approaching on similar types of problems we have to stop focusing so much on on the fringes and we have to start focusing on the middle yeah but that's, it, the, kind of, that's the kind of representative that i'm going to be yeah, I love to hear that because it's it's become so many elected officials are sitting up there and and first and foremost have everyone has seems to have forgotten mm -hmm. that elected officials work for the people. The people don't work for the elected official. Um and also if you being an elected official does not mean that you only work for your party. Right. You know, or who voted for you. Yes, you're not you're not being elected <clears throat> to be the the representative of just the democratic people in your area and the Republicans are just left out to dry. Um and, and we need to we really have got to start getting back to the understanding that regardless of who voted you in you are responsible for every single person in your district that is you know that, that that's the job that's the job you're not you're not I'm just saying, i've said that so many times that's literally the job yeah <laughs> yeah you're a representative now what yeah. i will ask you and um that all sounds great and perfect is to have positions where you are not going to compromise and then be able to listen to people and hear other points of view. But a theme that's been going through this discussion that we've had is people who regularly vote against their best interest and are going to hold firm. And then as you, Rob, have pointed out, is you then have these even more reactionary people who are like, we're not going to stop until we've conquered the seven mountains of society um, mm. and turn this into a Christian nationalist thing. We are not going to... and. You can't really compromise with, with that either because then you are literally just stuck in the mud, not accomplishing that. So how do you reconcile when things can't really be reconciled or compromised? I mean, uh, well, authoritarianism fits into how I'm not compromising human rights. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that there's the simple answer like to that. And uh -huh. that's and that's I mean, in spite of like the in spite of the, the religious connections uh, you know, Christian nationalism, it even like shows up like in the title, you know, the connection to politics that seven mountains, you know, like has, mm -hmm. um, it all ultimately is theocratic authoritarianism. It, yeah. it is, it is a, that is a, a segment of the population that sees that. And, and I'm, and I'm speaking about white people and I'm speaking about Christians. Both <laughs> of those demographics are shrinking. Yeah. Um, and they, and they, they see that. I mean, a lot of this is like a fear reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a small, smaller group, a smaller segment of the population who is attempting to maintain control over the rest of the population. 
And that falls into I'm not compromising human rights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yep. Now, at the same time, uh, and I've talked about this some um, as well in, in, in some of my other um, other platforms, we have whenever we're encountering like these things. And this is kind of like a general statement. here. we have to realize that we have to make sure that we're holding like the right people responsible. Um, the general the, the general people, I mean, the the, the people that we. That we'll look down our noses at mm-hmm. that are that are repeating these things, these things that they say that they believe. It's not necessarily their fault that they believe those things. Right. I agree. You know what I I'm agree. saying? There there's a there's a lot of gaslighting, a lot of like manipulation, mm-hmm. um, a lot of lies, you know, that are uh, and that, that have been happening for 40 or 50 years. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Have yeah. led that have led to this. So it isn't their fault. And a lot of it had a lot of it. Whenever, whenever we are all talking with people from those particular parts of the population, we have to remember our tone, and we have to remember we have to remember the the circumstances that we find ourselves in and how we got here. I mean, I've, I've been going back and, and watching a lot of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. um, and Cosmos, <laughs> like specifically, because he he has such a good way of explaining very complex topics. Mm-hmm. Um, but his tone is also, I, I, I try to like match it because you have to deliberately do that. And I'm sure that he deliberately does it too, Yeah, yep. where, where he has a calming tone and he has a respectful tone and he has a fun tone. Mm-hmm. He makes it, makes it fun and interesting to have like a conversation with him, even though he's talking about very complex things as something that we all need to learn how to do. Um, so, so we're, so while all of us have this, Emily, you talked about the ragey, yes. <laughs> the, the rage. <laughs> we can't we can't live in that space all. No, time. no, we can't. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Number one, and yep. it's only it's only going to do so much. Number mm-hmm. two, we have to we, we have to learn also how to turn the ragey off and turn yes. on Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> the, you save yeah. your rage for Twitter. That's where it goes. <laughs> No, no, it goes on TikTok. Oh, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> well, Rob, I really, or, the, I really uh, or, or you can save it for the uh, the Women's March anniversary. There um, you yes. go. Next uh, next Saturday. Yeah, next Saturday. That's uh, I actually um, I will be speaking. I will. Too. I was in. I was invited by Jennifer to to speak. Um, simply because, and and I don't mm-hmm. normally talk about like actually my my real job. Um. But I run a nonprofit for transgender and gender expansive adults. And so I, I will be speaking about the, the role that being transgender and gender expansive still plays within the women's rights movement. And I, and I, 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 that's a good opportunity to thank you for something, too, because you and I met um, at, at, a, at a rally. Uh, downtown and I got your card. I'm looking at your card on my desk like right now. It's so gl- gl- it's so glitzy and it's, it, there's a lot of blink. There's blank. <laughs> yes. But I had it I had it on my desk and I, I I won't I won't reveal any identifying information, but I became aware of um someone who recently came out publicly mm-hmm. as transgender and uh was starting the the process of of transition and was having some difficulties with finding friends and mm-hmm. being part of the community. And I'm sitting here, look, I was looking at um, Emily's card whenever I found out about that and was able to get them in touch with 
you oh that makes me so happy that makes me so happy yeah because um actually on the 8th we have a my nonprofit has its own event that's going on so i will be running around like a crazy person on the 8th going and getting our events set up and then coming back downtown to do the to speak at the march and then going back to the events um because when we planned our events we didn't realize that this was going on the same day <laughs> there's some scheduling that we all need to figure out as a town anyway maybe rob you can yeah. introduce some sort of state calendar and everyone can just <laughs> like calendar. you have to drive to denver you have to they have to provide a particular kind of thumbtack mm -hmm. and it's a giant cork board um, no, and no. everyone's gotta put it on there that feels uh, like a lot it does it is a lot. Speaking of a lot, Rob, thank you so much for being able to chat with us today. Um, I know scheduling is what it is. This is a very, um, I've heard it's a busy part of this season ahead of this thing that's happening. Uh, yeah, this, that, exercise this, this whole election thing. This whole election thing. So thank you so much for being able to talk to us candidly. I know you speak yes. candidly to everyone anyway, uh, but to, to talk to us about who you are and, and how you're really going to affect and for the better the people of Colorado Springs, especially mm -hmm. on the North end where I think we yes. kind of like fuck those guys sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm, 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 I'm of that, you know, Nick. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm downtown even before I got downtown. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the people who live up there, but the developers who are taking advantage of the people who are living yeah. up there. Yep. Yeah. And just, you know, the sprawl. Absolutely. So thank you, Rob. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. I uh, always, thank you always, always so much. Yeah. Yeah, great, great interview. I'm glad he was able to sit down and, and um, you know, that as we get closer to election, obviously, this is just going to get harder and harder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people, candidates are doing things in advance of this time in which people Very decide busy. whether they are going to get a job or not. Mm -hmm. like, very you, very busy can you imagine any other job where you have to work so hard to like maybe like, get, get one? a job maybe get one exactly <laughs> actually i think with the number of people i see who are like i did 700 job applications mm -hmm. and didn't get a job i remember during the peak of the pandemic early on two oh, years yeah. two and a half years ago i was applying to like come and go and stuff like that mm -hmm. and it was just absurd oh that, yeah like not getting anything uh, at yep. all so yeah woo, woo. all right um emily you want to get us out of here <laughs> absolutely nick we are badly needed and long overdue we are a podcast about shaking things up in a conservative city this show is hosted by nick raven and emily lewis which is me yes, uh, you can watch the video version of this on of the show on youtube and listen to us in podcast form everywhere you find podcasts when nick remembers to tell Upload. You do it every. I do it every time. <laughs> anyway, when Nick remembers to put them on the podcasty things, yes. so people find podcasts. Yeah, then you can hear them. Yes, you can listen to them. But I highly suggest watching us. We're kind of ridiculous. Uh, Whatever works for you. So our theme music is by the Knockblockers, our local ska band. Super awesome. They are playing live in some places throughout the end of the year. Uh, definitely recommend you go and, and follow them on social media and see if you can catch a live show. You can reach us on all the social media platforms. 
So on Instagram, we are Badly Needed Podcasts. On Twitter, we are at Badly Needed C-O-S. On Facebook, at Badly Needed and Long Overdue Podcast. And on TikTok, which has become Nick's favorite place to be. 100%. We are B-N-L-O Podcast. Excellent. Emily, thank you so much. We are badly needed and long overdue, and we're going to catch you next time. We yes, will. We will. We're going to catch we you. We got a net. We're going to get we it. it. We're going to get you good. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.